Well, hello, welcome to Watering Seeds, a podcast conversation that reviews and reapplies the preached word to our own minds and hearts and to those of our listeners. Watering Seeds is a podcast ministry of Covenant Reformed Presbyterian Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, today, we are discussing uh, last Sunday's sermon on Ephesians 3, 7 to 13. The title of that sermon is The Mystery Proclaimed. Uh, you can find that on our website under the Sermons tab. Uh, you may want to listen to it uh, before you listen to this podcast. My name is Sean McCann. I'm the one to preach that sermon. So uh, I am here to hear some feedback and questions and talk about it. I'm joined with uh, my fellow pastor, uh, Chris Brown. Chris, welcome. How are you doing today? Hello, hello. I'm doing well today. Okay. Uh, very good. You got your Bible open, right? I do. I've got it okay. open. Okay. Well, we did this last week, but since yeah. this is a longer passage, why don't we just go ahead and read it? Oh, sure. And then, is that all right? Yeah. Do you want me to read it? Sure. And we'll, we'll uh, jump in. So, uh, yeah, go ahead. All right. It's Ephesians 3, verses 7 through 13. Uh, and he just ended it talking about uh, the gospel, the promise in the gospel. So then he goes on, he says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery, hidden for ages in God, who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Amen. Okay, excellent. Um, so this sermon is called The Mystery Proclaimed. The sermon last week was called The Mystery Revealed. Uh, they really easily could have been one sermon. Uh, they're kind of part one and part two, right? Paul talks about how the mystery is revealed to him. And just to reiterate, the mystery is God's plan that was once unknown and is now made known, particularly is the formation of the church uh, by faith in the, uh, the cross of Jesus and our resurrected Savior and that church that brings together people of every tribe and tongue and nation focused here on Jew and Gentile. That's the mystery that Paul learns or is revealed to him, essentially, uh, in the coming of Christ and the preaching of the gospel. It's now the mystery that it's his joyous duty to preach and proclaim. Uh, so now it sort of transitions to the mystery itself, uh, to kind of how is the mystery made known, or rather, how is the mystery brought about, right, in its mm -hmm. fulfillment? I used this idea at the beginning about how we go about accomplishing our plans are different from how God accomplishes his plans, mm -hmm. right? And we want the biggest and the best because uh, we want our plans to go off without a hitch, without delay, uh, without any sufferings, without any um, hardship. God's plans go a little bit differently, right? Uh, the verse I had in mind that I was thinking, I didn't read this, but it's the First Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Uh, so that, that sort of image was in my head that God uses lowly people 
He enables lowly people to accomplish his eternal purposes in Christ. And the examples of lowly people are one, the individual, Paul, and second, the corporate uh, entity of his church. They're both lowly, and yet they're both used in powerful ways uh, for God to accomplish his purposes. So uh, it's a two-part sermon. The first uh, point focusing on God's purpose for his minister. Second is God's purpose uh, for his church. Before we hit those two points, do you have any initial reactions, comments, questions? Yeah. I mean, first question was just to start off with that, that main point where you said um, he's he's revealing the mystery now. That's sort of his focus, the way he does it. And the way he does it is that he uses lowly people. And so my first question is, why does God choose to use lowly people to enact his purposes? And why even use, why use anyone um, that's, that's the first. Why use anybody and not just do it himself, right? The next hmm. is why would he use lowly people and not great people? Yeah, so let me answer that by reading the next verse in 1 Corinthians 1. Verse 29 mm-hmm. says, So that no human being might boast hmm. uh, in the presence of God. Hmm. So uh, part of the reason God uses the least and the lowly is in order that he gets all the glory and the credit. And so the, 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 the way in which the message is delivered to us communicates the message itself. And so uh, the message is that Jesus is here for the least and lowly, and he is to save the powerless, uh, the sinful, the ones at the mercy of a righteous God. And so if our message communicates not human weakness, but human strength, it's sort of the opposite hmm. of um, the, the content of the message itself. So there's an old phrase, the medium is the message, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So the, the way in which it's delivered communicates sometimes even more than the message itself, mm-hmm. right? So um, that that's, I think, for, for God's glory and for a clear articulation of the gospel, he uses the least and the lowly. Now, why does he, he just do it himself? Was that the second yeah. part of the question? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess it's the same answer. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe I'll leave it there. <laughs> Just yeah, uh, unless you had another thought on why that might it, be. It's all. I mean, I think it's the same as what you're saying. Um, the passage that comes to my mind is um, when Paul talks about the new covenant ministry, yeah. and he says, "We hold this treasure, the gospel message, in jars of clay." Yeah, that's to show that the all-surpassing power belongs not to us but to God, who raises the dead. So, it's it's partly the message content that Christ is for the lowly. And it's also so that, like you read, no one can boast. Yeah. When someone gets converted, uh, it can't be me. Yeah. And because I, I'm so great. Yeah. I shared the message. I did such a good job. Yeah. It's that I'm this weak vessel and there's no earthly reason why mm-hmm. anyone would believe <laughs> that a crucified Messiah is the savior of the world. Mm-hmm. That has to be a divine work. Mm-hmm to raise a dead person to life spiritually. Right. Um, so that's part of it. Uh, and I think God's always wanted to use people yeah. because his plan is to have people yeah. in the new heavens and new earth yeah. forever. It's like it fits in with the Genesis 1 to 3 mm. that he's, he's given us tasks to do um, instead of bypassing us. Yeah. Uh, he wants us to be part of it. That's my yeah. My summary is yeah, yeah. It works through uh, means. He works through means. Yeah. That's just what he's like yeah. for some reason. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, he loves us. Mm. It's it's fulfilling and humbling and honoring to, for God to use us in any of his purposes. But like good Presbyterians, <laughs> we usually say he can, he usually does it this way. Right. But of course, he is powerful and he can do it some other way if he wants to. But we have no other expectation than what he gives in the Bible, uh, which is that they need a messenger. Right. That's I mean, Paul and Romans. Exactly. Look at Paul's conversion. Mm. Right? He didn't have a messenger. That's right. But we're not to expect that. To Just wait converted. around right. <laughs> for that yeah. to happen. Just send people on road trips and hope they get <laughs> converted by a random messenger. Right, right. All right, so the first purpose uh, is for God's, for his ministers. So jumping into that, mm. and I just pulled out two, I think, phrases that summarize the first three verses. And that's Paul's least of all, and then the second phrase, gift of grace. So Paul sort of goes autobiographical here. He's thinking about himself and his own ministry. Uh, and I, I said that he kind of invents this conjugation of a word, which is technically um, a superlative on, on top of a comparative, or a comparative <laughs> on top of a superlative. Li- right, it's little, less, least. That's the superlative. Leaster, which is another comparative. Most least. <laughs> right. I'll say that one of my daughters was laughing because I kept saying Leaster over and over again in the sermon. <laughs> I'm not sure if that was funny or if she was just embarrassed by her dad. What uh, are you but saying, dad? <laughs> I think it's a, I just love this idea that he had to step it up a notch mm-hmm. uh, to, to, or step it down a notch, mm-hmm. or whatever it is, just mm-hmm. to make it abundantly clear uh, that Paul considers himself the least. Now, I did say in the sermon, I don't think, you know, there's a sense in which we all as Christians have a healthy awareness of our sin. Uh, but I do think for Paul, he's reflecting particularly on his persecution of Christ and his church. Mm. I think that's the case. But I, even though most of us aren't guilty of that, I think we still have a lot to learn about having this same healthy awareness of our own sin. Mm. And so I think there's sort of two sides to this. One is almost a, a denial or a, a refusal to look inward at my own sin. Mm. And then the other side is probably, I talked about guilt, right? Just kind of this constant place mm. of guilt where mm. we can never... Uh, get over. So I uh, asked the question, what prevents you from having a healthy awareness of your own sinfulness mm-hmm. or your own unworthiness mm-hmm. at least? I'm not going to put you on the spot. What <laughs> might, how might someone that's not yourself answer that question? <laughs> yeah, I think what, I mean, it's what prevents us from like genuine humility, I guess. Exactly. Kind of the question. Yeah. Um, I think there's like a fine line to walk between getting humility and then just destroying yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Um, and that comes from a place of pride, actually, mm-hmm. where you know, I should be this good, mm-hmm. I should be up here because I'm this type of person. That's that's pride, and I'm not there, so I'm, you, I hate myself because of it. That's that's a pride gone wrong. Um, that's a bad type of depression and sadness that, that isn't humility, it's self-contempt because um, we're not meeting up to our proud standards for ourselves. So that's, I, I do think pride prevents humility. Of course. I mean, that's mainly it. It's not just the opposite, um, it's also the preventative. It prevents it yeah. as well. Uh, and then there's like, we, we'll probably talk about this later, but also our, weak, our weakness, just as frail humans, prevents uh, humility and proper introspection. Like we just have trouble analyzing ourselves. Mm-hmm. We don't even right. understand our emotions, right. uh, yeah. much less 
how to be humble people. Yeah. Yeah, I remember one of my favorite um, phrases as you think about pastoral ministry, and you might know whoever said this, but our role is to afflict the comfortable and to comfort the afflicted. Hmm. So I feel that if I'm meeting with someone for a while, I can have a, a good sense over whether I need to bring them to a greater awareness of their, their unworthiness and sin, or, man, if they just need to rest in the freedom of Christ, and they have got to get out of their guilt. Hmm. And maybe it's easier for other people to see that than us see it ourselves, hmm. maybe. I mean, I, um, I think part of kind of applying the gospel to ourselves is, is preaching, reminding ourselves when we're overcome with guilt that we are truly forgiven in Christ. We need others to remind us of that. Uh, we need to do it to ourselves, but we also need uh, some patterns, routines, rhythms, liturgies of um, aware- awareness of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know as well as I do, some people are just so deep in their own head, they just can't get out of it, mm. right? And they analyze every motive and every decision, and they're paralyzed by it. And other people are just blissfully unaware <laughs> that they may have just sinned against every person in the hallway they just walked past. Mm-hmm. So I think it's harder to see it in yourselves, but maybe it's easier to see in someone else, mm. which is maybe an encouragement, mm. you know, kind of for Christian community and, you know, growing together and encouraging one another in mm. the word. But, um, yeah, I don't think there's a one size fits all mm-hmm. uh, answer to that. You know, it's well, actually, let me say this as we think about it, you know, it's one reason our liturgy goes from the holiness of God to confession of sin and really God's law the recitation of God's law should take us on this path, right? I mean, God's law should show us our sin. It should be the mirror that shows us our sin. And then it should be the arrow that points us to Christ. So I think reading, reciting the law, passages about the holiness of God could kind of do both of those, hmm. maybe, for hmm. us. Hmm. You have any thoughts on Leicester? We're going to move on to the next. Very closely related, I yeah. question that. I had was um, does focusing on ourselves as the least or as our need for humility does that make us what does that make Christians does that turn us into pitiful and sad people (laughs) or does that create something good in us if it's done well right I mean you know true humility is Christ like and that is just the a beautiful picture mm. of the lowliness and the gentleness of Christ. Um, I don't know if that necessarily comes by only and always dwelling on sin. You know, and right. just simply oh, right. learning from Christ. Mm. Um, but no, it, it obviously doesn't move us towards, it shouldn't move us towards a sort of emotional self-flagellation, right? <laughs> I mean, it shouldn't be this self-hatred mm-hmm. um, or even like our, our conversations with others is always sort of you know hate self de- what's that word self-deprecation yeah, yeah. Um, that's that that just goes that, I mean that's a form of pride as well mm-hmm. right just mm-hmm. kind of too much focus on self I do think it should move us out of ourselves to focus on the Lord and others mm-hmm. but I do think lowliness and gentleness and humility are they're just beautiful marks of the Christian uh, that only come from knowing Christ. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, in my interactions with 
some unbelieving friends, they they have remarked that they say Christians are just they're so obsessed with sin. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, duh. Uh, that's like the main problem in the right. world. That's my main problem, right? right. Uh, and on the positive side, it's when I consider what I have been saved from, it does make me humble. It said like I didn't deserve salvation. Um, on the negative side, it's when we're like, uh, we have an, an accusatory spirit for something that we should no longer have an accusatory spirit for. Mm-hmm. That's the downside. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we still sin in the Christian walk, mm-hmm. sometimes, regularly. Right. And we should have an accusatory spirit until God takes the sense of guilt away uh, by the work of Christ, mm-hmm. applying it to our lives. So, um, yeah, I'm just in agreement. We sh- yeah. It shouldn't make us pitiful people. It should should make us beautiful. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right, well, let's jump to the gift of grace from least of all, I think, is Paul, as he goes down in a sense, it prepares him to go up, mm. right? The, the, the more he sees his own unworthiness, the greater in his eyes is the gift of grace, you know? And if we're not very unworthy, if, we, if sin's a little problem, then grace is kind of a little answer, right? Mm. But clearly for Paul, it's kind of this sheer amazement uh, for him. It's for him particularly, the gift of grace is his call to be an apostle, hmm. and that they would take. And here's where the great juxtaposition is: that God would take the great persecutor of the church and make him the great apostle of the Gentiles, hmm. uh, and that he he he's wondering at his glorious calling uh, to to proclaim this mystery. Hmm. Um, there's a lot in that verse 7 and 8 kind of packed in there that was kind of my overarching summary of it um, I used the illustration of Paul as a poor beggar brought into a restaurant and made a head waiter who's now amazed that he gets to serve this delicious food to those that are feasting um, and then I tried at the end to apply it not only to ministers because even ministers aren't apostles no. <laughs> there's yeah. a sense in which um uh, this was beneficial to me to think about how gracious God is to me to give me this gift of calling to ministry. Hmm. But then for members to to see the one who shares it be so amazed by it, hmm. we should also be amazed hmm. as we receive it. Hmm. Uh, and sort of tried to apply that kind of to our devotional life with Christ. So that's that overview of that second point. You got anything to pull out of that? Yeah. Uh, I thought that illustration was great. And it was very helpful for me as the a waiter yeah. <laughs> to think through. Yeah, um, I think there was a version of that in seminary that I heard. Oh, really? Maybe about a waiter serving, or just waiters who just bring the meal to the that's, table. Something that's like true. That. That's true. Yeah, and and I liked originally. You said, I think in both sermons you said it was originally he was angry with the restaurant. He yeah, was yeah, spray painting the restaurant. <laughs> right. you know? And then he gets brought in and fed, and then he, he gets to distribute it. And, yeah. Um, and that's definitely what the Christian life is like. Yeah. Uh, conversion and, and then calling to ministry. Yeah. Um, I, I thought application-wise that, yeah, you're right. The, the issue is feasting. Uh, we get to feast on this. And the, the phrase I love is he calls it the unsearchable riches of Christ, which... You know, we we could just you could spend a whole you could spend a whole series on that because it's unsearchable. Right. Uh, but that's what we're holding forth, and 
one thought I had application wise that maybe was a little distinct from where you went, yeah. um, but related to Correct. it, is um, I wrote this down when you're preaching it. I thought maybe we're so bad as Christians at holding forth the, the feast. Like we're all called to be waiters of some sort as Christians. Um, and maybe we're so bad at it because we're bad at feasting. Hmm. Like if we knew the value of the feast and how important it is and how worthwhile it is, and why why would we be scared to hmm. hold it out there? Hmm. That's just a thought that That's I had. Great. It's not a question or anything. That's no, wonderful. Uh, it's so true. I mean, I think there's a, when there's an emphasis on doing hmm. the Christian life mm-hmm. and and not first, yeah, feasting on Christ. You know, it made me think of um, I and. Before we were married, I waited tables. Well, I guess it was our first year of marriage. That was my job. Uh, but the restaurant I worked at, or one of them I worked at, when they hired you, there was a group of us, or four of us hired together. And at the end of the process, we sat down at the booth, and they they brought us every item on the menu because they wanted us to be able to recommend it, mm. to know what it was. This is a barbecue place. Yeah. So it's just burgers. And, uh, the best part was at the end, he was like, and here's our special burger and he didn't tell us what it was. And we tried it, and we all thought it was disgusting. Well, it turns out it was a veggie burger, and they were trying to pretend it was just as good as the other burgers. And we're like, this is horrible. So, yeah, I think, man, our witness, if we're not sitting at the feet of Christ, we can still witness by sharing the word, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's probably a richness mm-hmm. uh, and an intimate knowledge that's missing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a good word. And- one more thought on yeah. that. It reminded me of, I think it's this Calvin quote where he said, if a minister hasn't been applying the scripture he's about to preach to himself, he might as well trip on the stairs on the way up and break his neck <laughs> as deliver the message. Yeah. Which I think it's maybe a little dramatic yeah, yeah. because we need to deliver it whether or not yeah. we've done our duty through the week. Right. right. But uh, the point is there, right? Yeah. That um, if we're feasting on who Jesus Christ is, uh, then it w- should and will naturally flow into mm-hmm. wanting to hold forth right. who he is. So, right. Anyway. Yeah, great. All right, well, let's jump to that second one then. Uh, from the apostle to the church, God's purposes for his church. Uh, the church is not spoken of here as the least of these, but I think it's um, when we think of the spirit spiritual forces of evil that Paul talks about in Ephesians. The church certainly is, worldly speaking, a very humble um, organization. So, uh, verse 10 is crazy. I said in the sermon, it's like using that emoji of a, your little smiley face having its head blown up. Uh, verse 10 says that, so that the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I mean, you think about what you know, if you're a craftsman or an artist, you know, you want to show off your greatest work. Or, you know, you want to cook your favorite meal that shows your skill as the chef. Uh, you want to write, a, you know, a, an article that displays your wisdom, right? But for God to display his wisdom, it's not in the, the heights of the mountains or the depths of the sea or the, you know, the some. Einstein equation or some Beethoven symphony. I mean, it's the church, Mm -hmm. and that's the object lesson, in Mm -hmm. a sense, that Mm -hmm. God holds forth to proclaim 
to those watching of his inestimable wisdom. And that, just, to me, that's, that's, I still have a hard time kind of comprehending that, mm-hmm. right? That somehow the church is the thing that God chooses to use that for. Um, questions or comments on verse 10? Yeah, I thought your first part about, it's just the fact that it is the church. That, yeah, right. That's the, that's the main thing initially is uh, the, in the spiritual or heavenly places, these, in all likelihood, it's referring to demonic powers, that powers that are opposed to Jesus Christ, that are maybe uh, over nations or people. And um, then they see, they see the people they held grip over brought out of darkness and into a different kingdom, brought into Christ's kingdom. Mm-hmm. People, as Paul's describing, this Jew-Gentile relationship, people who hated each other brought together in Jesus. And they're seeing God's wisdom on display that his kingdom will be over all one day. That mm-hmm. he does rule over all, but one day the whole world will look like it. And they're you know, kind of freaking out, right. seeing what's happening, seeing God's plan. Um, just the fact that people are converted right. to right. Christ. Exactly. Exactly. And it's not something that I think is worth emphasizing. I didn't really talk about this, but mm. it's the spiritual nature of the church, mm. the spiritual nature of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, big buildings with big Roman columns and somber, you know, inner courts and sanctums mm. and, or whatever crown. I mean, it's not, I just think we, we so want the church right now to be that worldly institution mm. that sort of towers over everything else. Mm. And maybe it has been that in certain times and places. Sure. There's no guarantee of that. I mean, that's that, that, that comes and goes. Um, and hoping and, and looking at what is the, what is the church is what you just said. I mean, it's, mm. it's lost souls brought in and united together that persevere unto the end by the power of God. Now that's it, you know. And we that that is what we need to see and look at in our rejoicing. And so I just I, I lament, and you see Christians too often joining the church with the power institutions of nation or state and court. And you know, every court's going to come and go. Every nation's going to come and go, right? But. You know, America is going to not exist at some point, but the church is always going to exist. Mm. And so I think having the right spiritual understanding of the kingdom of God, um, it's just seeing it in the right light. Because that's what amazes. The demonic powers are not impressed by a tall steeple, right? They're Mm. not impressed by, you know, a perfectly pitched choir, right? That's not what impresses them. It's It's the knitting together of, the body of Christ from all these different nations. So, I like the illustration of uh, that you gave. Of, you've got the Grinch. Oh yeah, the Grinch. He's up Christmas. on this mountain looking down at Whoville, <laughs> and the Who's are all together despite all of the pains and sufferings yeah. he's caused, and he's astounded, and for him his heart's melted. Yeah, yeah. Now, that's not what happens to the demons. No, no, no. they tremble. Falls there. They yeah, tremble right. when they see right. uh, people brought into God's kingdom. Uh, it also made me think of Job, the witness of Job, because at the beginning we're told the story behind the scenes yeah. that Job doesn't know. He doesn't know, and it's up in the heavenly council or whatever's going on there. Yeah. I don't fully understand right. it. Right. I don't think we're supposed to. Um, but you've got 
the demonic forces saying, you know, look at look at these people, uh, and God essentially saying they're my people, mm-hmm. and that I will prove and show that I'm a good God by preserving my people with despite all the stuff you throw at them, and the demonic forces see it, they see the wisdom of God, the power of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's that's yeah. the picture I got. Yeah, yeah, I, I had thought about using that hmm. as an illustration in the preparation. Um, very, yeah. It's very similar. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I went with Dr. Seuss instead of scripture, <laughs> but I guess you can they, judge me on that later. No, I'm not <laughs> all right. Uh, the last point is on the inside. So the outside purpose is witness. The inside is confidence. Confidence I chose is sort of the word to knit together these two ideas that Paul sort of closes on. He's kind of wrapping up. His argument of verses 1 to 13. Uh, one is access to God, which comes through Christ in prayer and worship. Uh, and then he returns to kind of his major point, which is don't worry about me. <laughs> like, I'm okay. This is in the plan of God. Um, any thoughts on one or the other of those? Maybe as we draw to a close, our uh, uh, question. Yeah, um, I guess I could tie this together. I, a question I had was what what causes us to be discouraged in the Christian life and how is this the remedy to that I suppose is yeah that puts puts it together yeah yeah I mean what what would cause an Ephesian Christian to be discouraged about Paul being in prison um I mean in one sense it's just general suffering Mm -hmm. right because doesn't suffering seem to tell us we're not loved Right. I mean, if if I was if I fell off my bike when I was a kid and Dad's just standing there and doesn't do anything and I'm crying and it's getting worse and Dad's not even moving, doesn't that make you know? I interpret that to mean Dad doesn't care about me. Hmm. Or the other flip side is Dad goes crazy and he tries to help but nothing's helping. Hmm. So he loves me but he's powerless. Hmm. So so I, I feel like we're just really bad at reading sovereignty of God in the moment you should you know never really try to read much into the sovereignty of God in the moment right it's so much easier reading it backwards so I think just general suffering is telling us something different than the scripture tells us Mm. if that makes sense Mm -hmm. and we're hearing these conflicting messages uh, and we're thinking man this is the church is suffering it's declining it's weak um it must mean this that or the other about god so i think that's sort of the sort of where i come at it i mean one way i mean i know there's many i could think of other reasons for discouragement in the christian life but i feel like contextually that's where paul is Mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah um yeah and i sort of want I, i love thinking about the Paul saying, um, where does he say? Verse 13, I ask you, 14, 13, I ask you not to lose heart. I mean, that's just a, that's a powerful little turn of phrase, lose heart. And, you know, I was thinking, I, we, there was a prayer update shared last week or so with someone in our church on the email list who was suffering. And it was a long recitation of things they had gone through. And then she just says at one point, something happened she said it was really sad and it's okay to be sad i almost cried reading that because i was like yes like why is it 
why is that so hard for us to get sometimes as Christians? And, mm. and Paul's just like, hey, I know y'all are probably sad and worried right now. He's not scolding them. You know, that's not what he's saying. He's actually asking them not to lose heart. So, I mean, he's inviting them and encouraging them to trust in this mighty plan of God, to trust that Christ loves them because he has died for them. Mm. Um, that is, that's just a wonderful, I just think that's a wonderful acknowledgement in Scripture because we, like, we go around all the time sort of with this false confidence. Everything's okay. And I trust God. And, King's reigns on his throne, true things, but not acknowledging our human weakness and frailty that I believe helped my unbelief. Hmm. So, yeah. I thought that that little line you pointed out, not to lose heart, that sort of like pushes from, uh, it's good, it's fine to be sad, and sometimes it's necessary or important even, but losing heart is like a despair type yeah. of thing, right? Like, so he's, he's asking them, don't go from genuine, like good sadness mm-hmm. to despair over mm-hmm. what's happening in the church. Right. So, um, so he's got those, those motives about why you shouldn't, yeah. uh, go all the way over to despair because it's the sovereign plan of God. Yeah. It's the purpose behind suffering. And, um, you spent time discussing this which was uh, the boldness and the access that we have mm-hmm. with confidence mm-hmm. so it's I liked that you pointed out that it's it's about trusting in God's plan and trusting his purpose for suffering and that he uses the weakest but it's also that we have access in the middle of all of it yeah uh, we we still have bold access to talk to him um, mm-hmm. to what is it to breathe my sorrows there that's mm-hmm. from that hymn yeah um that that's part of our hope too, is we have fellowship with him now. Absolutely, absolutely. And prison is no uh, wall or barrier for Paul, mm. right between God. Mm. So, all right. Well, maybe uh, we will sort of leave it there. Um, the the kind of final gospel encouragement of the sermon is that we are the least people, but we have been given the greatest Savior who became the least. Uh, in order to make us the great uh, in our ultimate glory. So uh, Paul's going to go ahead and get to his prayer finally uh, on this coming Sunday that he's been working towards uh, the last two weeks. Uh, So we'll get to that kind of end of the first half of the book of Ephesians uh, with kind of this great uh, ending uh, coming up next week. But uh, for now, thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to Watering Seeds. Uh, We hope you found the conversation helpful as you seek to live out your faith this week. Uh, Join us next week. We'll be discussing the sermon. I think the prayer is spiritual strength. It's Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. Uh, So that'll be posted on the website sometime soon. Uh, So until then, grace be with you all.